Thank you for joining us today at Our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in seven different locations. We hope that today's message encourages and empowers you on your spiritual journey and helps you grow deeper in your relationship with God. To learn more about Our Savior's Church and how you can get involved, you can visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Well, we're continuing in our series called A Walk with Abraham. I hope this has been a blessing to you. The series has been a blessing. We're looking at the life of a spiritual giant. This man is a giant. He's the father of many nations. He's the father even of of different religions lay claim to him. This was a giant of a man. And so we've been studying his life from the the first calling, when God calls him out of Ur of the Chaldeans into the land that God's going to give him, the land of Canaan. Canaan. And so we've been, we've been walking week by week, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. But we're, we're going to pause the series after this week because we're going to join in with all of our other campuses as we begin a new series together called Legacy. And we're going to come back to um, a walk with Abraham. A, a man after the first service came to me was like, I'm bummed. I've enjoyed this service. I can't believe we're ending this, this series. But we're coming back to it, okay? So, but we're going to join in with the rest of our campuses. And then we'll probably restart the series in January or February. But last week we left off in Genesis chapter 14 with this man, Abram. We've been using the name Abram and Abraham interchangeably because he's, God hasn't changed his name yet to Abraham. But Abram rescued his nephew Lot from bad decisions that Lot made. Lot made some pretty poor decisions and Abram had to come to his rescue. How many of you have ever had to come to the rescue of somebody else because of their own bad decisions? Don't point. Don't stare. But that's what Abram did. Lot chose the land near closest to, to Sodom and when Sodom was attacked by the king of Elam, King Cater Leomer, Lot was taken. And here Abram has to come and rescue him. And that's what we saw. Abram brought his 318 men to go and rescue him. I don't want to get ahead of myself because I want to reference that again in today's message. But after he rescues his nephew Lot, he comes back and he has this encounter with these two different kings. One of the kings that he encountered was the king of Sodom. And Sodom, as we know, was not a very righteous place. It was not a very godly place. If anything, we could, we could call the king of Sodom the king of unrighteousness. And we're going to talk about that encounter in a moment. But he also has this encounter that we talked about last week with this mysterious figure that shows up out of nowhere by the name of Melchizedek or Melech Zedek. And that name means king of Melech. Zedek, righteousness, king of righteousness. And he was also the king of Salem, which would become Jerusalem. And Salem means peace. So he has this encounter with the king of righteousness and the king of peace, which I believe, there are many different opinions, but I believe that that is what we call a Christophany. And a Christophany is a picture or a moment when Jesus in the New Testament, shows up in the Old Testament, but he's not recognized as Jesus because he hasn't revealed himself as Jesus yet. So we see this moment where 
where Abram has this encounter with what I believe, Jesus, the king of righteousness, the king of peace, and he also has this encounter with the king of Sodom. And we're going to talk more about the king of Sodom and this encounter in a moment. But now comes a major encounter that Abram's getting ready to have with God. Let's go to that. In Genesis chapter 15, verse 1, this is what it says. Sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you, and your reward will be great. Now, that sounds like a great promise, but I want you to catch something. You don't tell someone not to be afraid unless there's something to be afraid of. Or unless there's something already in their heart that they are afraid of. So God shows up and God tells Abram, Abram, don't be afraid. And I like the way that the NIV translation says it. It says it like this. It says, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your very great reward. I am your shield. I'm your protector. And I am your reward. Now, God is giving him this promise, and we're going to look in a moment at how he responds to this promise from God. But why would he be afraid? What just happened that would cause him to have fear? I don't know for sure. I have some ideas. But keep in mind, in chapter 14, in the chapter right before this, Abram took his 318 trained men, and he attacked the king of Elam. King Cato Laomer. And Cato Laomer, if you remember the story from last week, if you didn't, you can go to our website and download all of the messages or listen to the messages to catch up. But he goes and he rescues his nephew Lot from the king of Elam, who was in partnership with four other kings. And these four other kings defeated five kings. And those five kings that they were, that they defeated were Semitic kings or Shemetic kings, meaning they came from the line of Shem, Noah's son. That's why we call today, we have Semitics, or we we say someone's anti-Semitic. It all falls from the the son, excuse me, of Noah and his son Shem and his line. So they were Semitic or Shemetic kings, king of Sodom and some other ones. So we see here that they defeated, these four kings defeated those five kings. So this is a big, bad army. And Abram takes 318 men and he defeats this army and he comes back with his nephew Lot and all of the spoils of war from Sodom. Now, again, why would he be afraid? Let me ask you a question. Have you ever done something And in the moment, you were fully confident, but as soon as it was over, you thought to yourself, what the heck did I just do? (laughs) Everybody ever done that? Like in the moment, you have all of the confidence, your emotions are high, I'm just going to tell them what I think. They need to hear this. Or you're like, you know what, I'm sick of my boss. Who does he think he is? I'm going to give him a piece of my mind. And in the moment, it feels real good. And then you walk away and you start thinking... Well, dang, I need a new job. (laughs) In the moment you do it and you're all in, but then you walk away and you think, I cannot believe I just did that. 
I wonder, I wonder if that's what Abram was afraid of, or at least one of the things Abram was afraid of, because he took his 318 men and defeated this great king, comes back, and it's almost as if he could say, God, I know you were with me, but if that king gets mad and comes back, will you still be with me? Will you still protect me? Because I know you did it then, but God, what if, what if, how many of you ever had a case of the what ifs? What if this happens? What if that happens? What if this falls into play? What if this doesn't come through? God, what if they get angry? I know you told me to do this, but I'm not, you didn't tell me what their response was going to be. And all of those things. Maybe Abram was wrestling with that. But even in there, I think there's a lesson for us to learn. Here's the lesson. If God was for you, why would he not be for you now? If God provided for you in the past, why would he stop providing now? If God protected you in the past, why would he stop protecting you now? He's the same God that he was then. We just sang about that. He's the same guy yesterday, today, and forever. He's the same God. If he did it then, why wouldn't he do it now? And that story is a picture of the rest of Israel's history. There were many times that Israel would be outnumbered, counted out, no way possible for them to win the battle, yet because God fought for them, they won. So that's one possible fear, but I think it's even more likely that this next fear is what Abram was really feeling because he verbalizes this. This is what it says, verse 2. But Abram replied. This is his reply. God gives him a promise, and this is his reply. God says, don't be afraid. I'm your reward. I'm your shield. And he says this, O sovereign Lord, what good are all of your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children, Eleazar of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all my wealth. You've given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. Here's Abram's fear. I'm getting older. And God, I'm in the promised land. I'm in the place that you said that you would give me. I left everything that I knew to be a stranger in this foreign land. I left it all. I built my life here, but I don't have a son yet. And it's almost as if he's saying, God, I've done my part, but I haven't seen you do yours yet. God, you told me to leave Ur of the Chaldeans. I listened, albeit it took him a little while, but I listened. I came, but you haven't done your part yet, God. I don't have a descendant, and I'm going and to, and Abram does what we start to do. When God doesn't come through in the time that we think he will, what do we do? We start formulating our backup plans. We start formulating our, our strategies, our just-in-case God doesn't, I'm going to make sure, and I'm going to. And he's saying, if I don't have a son, I'm going to have to leave all of these blessings, all of this wealth. I'm going to have to give this to my servant, Eleazar of Damascus. That's his fear. Now, for the last two weeks, we've gotten to see Abram with high faith, high confidence in God rescuing Lot, believing God, being humble in conflict with his nephew. 
because he trusted the Lord. And we got to see him in all of those moments. But now, this is encouraging for me. I don't hope it is for you. We get to see this great man of faith weak. And this is why this is encouraging. None of us are spiritual giants. We all have weak moments. Pastor, I don't have a weakness. That's your weakness. The fact that you're prideful enough to think that you don't have a weakness, that's your weakness. We see this great giant of the faith having a weak moment. And he's saying, God, I don't, I don't know. And I don't know about you, but that's encouraging to me. That's encouraging to me. Abram responds to this promise from God, but he responds with fear. But the thing I like about this is that he also responds with honesty. How many times do we go to God as if we can deceive God? God, I'm trusting you. God, I believe you. And God's like, do you really? (laughs) Think about this for a moment. When Abram received the promise from God initially that God was going to give him a land and God was going to give him descendants and all of this stuff, Abram was 75 years old. 75. This is now likely 10 years after that. So he's now 85 years old, and he still has not seen the promise. Can you imagine you're at your 85th birthday, and God shows up, and he says, I'm going to give you a child. Last service, I, heard, I literally audibly heard somebody say, no, thank you. <laughs> I'm good, God. No, thanks. But he's 85 years old. This is, he's been waiting on this promise for 10 years, and nothing has happened yet. Time is not on his side. He's not getting any younger. His wife is not getting any younger. But listen to God's response. Then the Lord said to him, no, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. God takes Abram's concern and he blows his expectation out of the water. God says, you're worried about this, but you have no idea what I'm capable of. And this is, keep in mind, this is before we had electricity. This is before there's city lights. Like we have city lights and all this stuff, and it stops us and inhibits us from seeing how many stars are there. there. He is seeing very clearly at nighttime millions, if not billions of stars in the sky. And God juxtaposes, God, God, take, he, God compares Sarai's barrenness with something that Abram can't even count. And this is what he puts together. He says, your wife is barren right now. But what I'm capable of doing and what's going to happen is your descendants are going to be more than you can even count. Just look up. And for some of you, that's a very simple thing for us to do. Just look up. The Bible says, I look to the hills. Where does my help come from? Just look up. You're looking this way, and I need them to help me, and I need them to help me, and this is the problem, and this is in front of me, and I don't know how I'm going. God says, look up. 
You have no idea what I am capable of. Why do we put limits on God? We act sometimes like God is unable to do the things that we need him to do. And some of you would, I, I hear you. No, I don't. I don't put limits on God. That's not true. Then why do you live in fear? When you live your life in fear, that is what you're doing. You're saying, God, I trust you in all of these areas, but you're limited in this area. I don't trust that you can really provide for me, God. I don't trust that you can really take care of me, God. I don't trust that you're really going to. I may think you can, but I don't think you're going to. And we put these limitations on God. When we have a promise from God, now here's the thing, God doesn't do things in our timing. And that's important for you to know. God doesn't do things in our timing. As a matter of fact, God very rarely, if ever, is early. My old pastor used to say it like this. He said, God's never early, but he's almost late a whole lot. <laughs> and old, old preachers used to say it like this. God's slow, but he's show. <laughs> he is slow, but he is show. And even in that, his timing is perfect. 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 We're talking about the God of the universe, the, the creator of the heavens and the earth. He is not limited. I also want you to notice something. Abram is bringing his fear to God. And God doesn't, God, God doesn't give him an explanation. God gives him a promise. He didn't tell him, well, this is what's happening, Abram, so you're going to do this, and then I'm going to do this, and then this is going to happen, and this is why, and, and let me. God doesn't owe us the answer to the question why. Now, I'm not telling you that it's wrong for you to ask. Some of you, it's okay. You're in that place where you're hurting. You need to ask God why. But I'm just telling you, he doesn't have to answer that question. He gives us what we need. And what Abram needed more than the answer to the question why was he needed the promise to hold on to. He needed to grab a hold to what God was saying. God, I don't understand. One day you will understand. But right now, here's the promise. Just trust me. Just trust me. Parents, you understand what this is like. When your 11-year-old comes to you and asks, can they drive the car? And you say no, and they think you're a bad parent. But the truth is you are saving their life, and all you can tell them is one day. You don't have time to stop and explain, well, this is the, le this is the legalities, and this is this reason, and your brain's not fully functioning yet. And no, no, no. You say, shut up. You'll get it when you're 18. <laughs> you give a promise. When it comes to the promises of God, we need to know what they are so that we can grab a hold of them and have faith. That's what grows our faith. The promises of God, the word of God grows and increases our faith. Listen, I encourage you all, and those of you who have been around my church for a long time, you know this. I encourage you to get this card. It's called the 40 I Am's. We have it in our, our info center as you leave. You can grab one of these. What is this? This is 40 things that God's word says about you. Listen, not Pastor Gabe's opinion. 
what God's word has to say about you. These are some of the things that it says. It says that I am a child of God. I am redeemed from the hand of the enemy. Here's a big one. I am forgiven. That's one that we wrestle with. Because even as Christians, we think about all of the horrible things that we've done. And we act sometimes as if what Jesus did for us was not enough to clean our consciences. God, I know I'm your child, but Lord, I can't believe I did this. Lord, I feel like a worm. I feel so dirty. I feel so embarrassed. I feel so ashamed. God, I can't believe. And the promise of God is if you confess your faults, he is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you of all sin and unrighteousness. That's his promise to us. That's his promise that if you repent, if you bring this to him, you know what he says? I forgive you. I forgive you. But God, I feel, I still feel, I still have this feeling. Listen, are you going to believe your feelings or are you going to believe the author of those feelings? The one who even gave you a life to have feelings. And he says, I forgive you. And, and, and I will never forget a professor in college saying this, and it's so stuck with me because I never heard it before. He said this. He said, the level of arrogance and pride that we have when the righteous God of the universe says, I forgive you, but we say my standards are so high that I can't trust him. My righteousness is bigger than his. So even though he forgives me, I can't forgive myself. I can't forgive myself. God, thank you for your low standards, but I can't forgive myself. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? If the God of the universe says, I love you enough to send my son to die for that sin, and because you brought it to me, it's gone, guess what the promise says? You are forgiven. We have to know God's promises so that we can stand on them. So that in the day of battle, we can fight with them. And listen, I'm not telling you that guilt and condemnation doesn't come to you. What I'm saying is that's no longer who you are. That's no longer who you are. That's why we read God's word. That's why we get God's word in me. David said it like this. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I've hidden those promises. I've held on dear to them that I might not sin against you. God, this is who I was. This is what I does. The promise says you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. That's his promises to us. That's his promises. I also want you to see this. In the middle of Abram's fear, God was patient with him. God was patient with him. God didn't go, are you kidding me? I brought you out of Earl Chaldeans. I did all this stuff for you. He come, God gives him a promise, and he says, God, but you haven't done what you said you were going to do. God didn't get mad. God was patient with him. Can I just tell you, children of God, how patient your God is with you? God loves you much more than you think he does. You can't even fathom God's genuine love for you. Am I advocating for sin? Of course not. He hates sin more than you could ever fathom that he hates it. But he loves you much more than you could fathom. His love is perfect. 
And God is patient with Abram in this moment. And the next verse that I'm getting ready to read to you is one of the most important scriptures in all of the New Testament. Wait a minute, Pastor. I think you're tired. We're in the Old Testament. No. It's one of the most important scriptures in the New Testament. And I'm going to get to that in a moment. This is what that scripture says. God says, God gives him this promise. And this is, the Bible says, And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Abram believed God, and God counted that as righteousness in his sight. This is one of the most profound scriptures in all of the Bible. And it gives us so much insight into the character, the nature of God, and the gospel of Jesus Christ. It helps us understand this. What did Abram do? He just believed God. He believed the promises that were given to him. And because of that, God counted that as righteousness. Now, I want you to see this. He believed, and because he believed, his beliefs led him. His belief dictated how he was going to live. His belief determined the direction of his family. His belief caused him to live out a life that was fruitful and blessed in God's sight. It started with his belief. He believed God. Now listen, do you? Do you believe God? And I'm not talking about I think we oversimplify sometimes things when we say, I believe in God. That's not what he said. It wasn't talking about some mental ascent and some cognitive understanding. That, yeah, I agree that somehow, someway, there's a creator of the universe, and I don't believe in the Big Bang. I think that whatever creator, intelligent designer said, bang, and then all of a sudden everything was created, but then he left us alone by ourselves, and so now we've we got to try to figure him out. That's not what the Bible says. It's not talking about this obscure, abstract, I believe in God. Even the demons believe in God. The question is, do you believe God? Do you believe the things? I got an amen over there. Do you believe him? Do you believe what he said? Not do you believe in him. Listen, if we're in a relationship I want you to believe that I exist. That's pretty weird if we're having a conversation. I want you to believe that I exist, but I want you to also believe that I'm going to do the things that I said I was going to do. I also want you to trust me that when I say I'm going to be there, I'm going to be there. Abram believed God. Not just believed in God, he believed God. Do we believe the words of this book? Do we believe that our sins are forgiven because we have faith in a man 2,000 years ago dying on the cross and rising again from the dead? That's why that's important to the New Testament. Because the New Testament authors reference that verse many times in the Bible. It's referenced in Romans chapter 4, verse 3. You can write this down. I'm not going to go there. But Romans chapter 4, verse 3 quotes that scripture. Galatians chapter 3, verse 6 quotes that scripture. Hebrews chapter 11 references the faith of Abram, Abraham. That verse applies to us. 
We don't just believe in God. We don't just believe there was a man named Jesus. We believe that he is who he said he is, and he did what he said he did. We believe him. This is key to the New Testament. It's faith. It's faith. It's believing his promises, believing that. Listen to me, church. We suffer many things, and we will continue to suffer things in this life. And I've said this many times. If you are ever, if you're in a church and they tell you that once you get saved, everything gets easy, leave. Because they're lying to you. Jesus promised us. This is what Jesus, you want. here's another promise. In this life, you will have troubles. In this life, you will have problems. You will have hardships. But take heart, I've overcome the world. That's what Jesus says. So it's not that we live a life devoid of that, but hear me, children of God. One day, you will be in glory. One day, we will see Jesus in front of us. One day, everything that you've faced and you've endured here on this earth will be like it was a drop in the bucket compared to all that you're going to see. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed to you. The river of God will flow and we will see the kingdom and the streets of gold and all of those things. That is our hope. And I was, I do the U version um, as I read the Bible in the morning. And they did. had an interesting little article or something. I can't remember what it was. But they were talking about that Hebrew word hope. And that Hebrew word hope is really the same thing as the word wait. Hope and wait. It's the same thing. Hope, biblically speaking, in Hebrew is not optimism. It's waiting. And we're getting ready to see Abram flesh this out even more. I don't want to get too ahead of myself. But I'll say this one last thing about this before we keep going. We are children of Abraham, children of righteousness, not because we were born with a Jewish lineage, not because we were born as Israelites or descend from the line of Abram's physical body. We are children of Abraham because we have the faith that Abraham had. A faith that says, if God said it, I believe it. If he's saying this is the covenant that I'm a part of because I believe, then I believe. I trust him. Verse 7, then the Lord told him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans or Chaldeans, rather, to give you this land as your possession. Now, this is kind of odd because they're in the middle of the conversation and it's almost as if God is saying, hey, by the way, let me introduce myself. Imagine we're hanging out at Jet Coffee and the meeting's going on in the right, and you're telling me about the problem and we're going to add you to the prayer list and all this stuff. And in the middle of it, I just go, hey, by the way, my name is Pastor Gabe. You'd be like, something happened to you? Are you cool? Right? And so that's kind of what, what is happening. And, and this, is, this is what I believe is happening. There's a movie. I won't tell you the name of the movie so that you can't judge me because I'm not telling you to go watch it. But there's a movie where this Italian mobster, some of you are judging already, even though this Italian mobster, he's got his little mob friends, and they are beating the daylights out of this um, 
this biker gang. And there, I mean, baseball bats are flying. I sense the judgment anyway, but baseball bats are flying, all of that stuff. And one of the mobsters, the head mobsters, grabs the guy, one of the guys that they're beating up, and he makes them look at him and he says, look at my face. Remember, I did this to you. Which is a very extremely cruel thing to do. And that's the negative side of this. But on the positive side, I believe that's what God is doing. God is saying, Abram, Abram, look at my face. I'm the one who's doing this for you. I am the same God who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans. I am your past. I'm with you in the present. And I am your future. I am your shield. I am your great reward. Remember, Abram was a polytheist. He worshiped many gods, and he didn't, he, we have the, the, the benefit of reading the New Testament and Old Testament and seeing the nature and the character of God. He's learning these things firsthand for our benefit. He's learning who God is, and God is revealing himself for us, but also for Abram, and he's teaching him, listen, son, I am that God. I'm the only one. And I am the one who delivered you out of Ur of the Chaldeans. There's a prayer that the Jewish people pray every day. It's called the Shema. And it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord our God is one. The word echard, one. It's really, it's, and, and it speak, the word echard, it speaks of like a family being one family. And we know the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit is one, echard, that word one. That God is saying, I'm revealing, my, I'm revealing who I am to you. Don't forget that. I'm the one that was with you. I'm the one that's with you now. And I'm the one that will be with you. Let's keep going. Verse 8, this is Abram's response. But... And you don't like, I don't like hearing but whenever God just gave a promise. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, how can I be sure that I will actually possess it? And I know that at first glance that sounds like unbelief, right? It sounds like he's going, God, I don't believe you. But that's not at all what's happening. How do you know that? Because the verse before us just, promised, just told us that he believed God. So it's not like he's doubting and questioning. He, he, he's not questioning. He believes God. God, I believe you. I believe what he's doing is he's asking for an assurance. He's saying, God, how? He's like, Lord, I believe you, but can you put, can you put like some earnest money down? Or can we have a contract? And this is what God does. Verse 9. The Lord told him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. So Abram presented all these things to him and killed them. Then he cut each animal down the middle and laid the half side by side. He did not, however, cut the birds in half. Some vultures swooped down to eat the carcasses, but Abram chased them away. We're going to come back to that last part. I want you to see something there. God's response to this is to make a pact. With Abraham is to make a covenant with God. And when a covenant is made, blood has to be shed. 
There has to be blood where there is a covenant. We don't understand covenants the way that they were then. And there's so many even areas that you are a part of a covenant that there was blood that you don't even understand yet, and I'm not going to go there. But blood is, is shed. In that time, in the Canaanite culture, when they were making a covenant and they killed an animal, what Abram's doing is he's killing the animal and he's cutting it in half. What, they were, what the parties that were making the agreement are saying is they're saying, may what happened to these animals happen to me if I break the covenant that I'm making with you. May what happened to these animals happen to me if I break this covenant. And here's God making this covenant with Abram. And in verse 11, in verse 11, we see these birds swooping down. This is a, sometimes we read the Bible and we just kind of move on, right? And we, we don't pay attention to this detail, but this detail is pretty important. And I never really understood, but I always was curious about why these birds came. And, and I believe I know the answer to that question now. These birds came in trying to steal the covenant before it was made. The enemy came in and tried to wreck this covenant before it even got off the ground. God hasn't even shown up yet. Well, Pastor, where's that in the Bible? In the New Testament, I'll tell you, when Jesus is telling us the story of the seed that goes in the ground, the parable of the seed and the sower, he says, the seed is coming, the Word of God is coming. In some types of ground, it goes on the ground, and immediately, who comes? The birds come. And they scoop them up, they take it away before the seed can take root in the ground, before it produces any fruit. It never even gets to go into the soil. The covenant is never even made because the birds are allowed to come and take them. Can I ask you in your life, some of you, you've let the birds come. You've let the enemy come and the covenant, your covenant with God is not even made because you keep being distracted by all of the things in your life, all of the things in the world. You, I don't want to give this up. I don't want to give that up. I'm not ready to serve Jesus. I'm not ready. And you're letting the birds come and steal the covenant that God wants to make with you. You don't want the seeds to go in the ground. You just let the enemy come. And here's the thing. God won't make the covenant with you if you don't want to make it. The covenant will never happen unless you're willing to make the covenant with him. And that's why when we say things like the blood of Jesus is for all of the sins of the world, it's very true. It's sufficient for all of the sins of the world. But all of the sins of the world, the blood is not applied to because for some of us, we don't want the covenant. We don't want the covenant. We don't all get to go to heaven because Jesus called universalism. We don't all get to go to heaven because Jesus died on the cross. No, we, we get to go to heaven because the blood has been applied to our lives. It's enough for all the sins in the world, but it's not been applied to us. Are y'all with me? Let me keep going. Abram shoes them away, gets rid of the distraction, gets rid of the problem, and focuses on the covenant. Verse 12, as the sun was going down, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a terrifying darkness came down over him. Now, another very small little detail is that this is a multi-day process. How do you know that? 
Because when God began talking to him, he told them, look up in the sky and see all the stars, which means it was darkness. Now in verse 12, we're saying as the sun's going down. So there's some waiting involved in this. There's a process involved in this. The sun is going down. And Abram's having to wait now on God. How many of you ever felt like you had to wait on God? Like, God, I know you said, but I'm still waiting. I haven't seen it. I I believe, but why hasn't it happened yet? I have. I know I have. Very honestly, I have. God, I believe. I know it. I trust you. It's going to happen. But Lord, please, it'd be real nice if you came early. Abram kills the animals. He does the stuff. But God hasn't shown up yet, and he's waiting. And he falls into a deep sleep. Why? Because the man is tired. The man is exhausted. And the Bible says a terrifying darkness, which that's a, I don't, I'm not going to go into it, but that's a picture of all that his people are going to go through in Egypt. Some say the birds represented the Egyptians and that same, that terrifying darkness that came over Abraham, the same terrifying darkness came over the land of Egypt. And so this is happening and he's waiting. And let me just, we're not going to be able to finish the series this year, but let me give you a quick spoiler alert. He has the child, or rather Sarah, Sarah has the child. That'd be even more of a miracle. But Sarah has the, Sarah has the child. But by the time that they have the child, you know how old Abram is? 100 years old. The promise was given when he was 75. It wasn't fulfilled till he was 100 years old. 25 years of waiting on God. But that waiting was worth it. God's promises are worth the wait. Listen, for all of you enduring, and you're like, God, I just don't want to keep going through this. I don't want the promise of God is well worth it. And I mean everything from the person who's dealing with things in life and you can't wait to go to glory to the single person who's going, God, I just want to get married. I just want that spouse. I just want to. The right one is worth the wait. The right one is worth the wait. Let him bring them to you. waiting on God, waiting on him, being a follower of Jesus, that comes part and parcel, waiting on God. We're still waiting on his return. We have been hearing soon for a long time, but he is coming. Verse 12, as the sun was going down, Abram almost done. Abram fell into a deep sleep in a terrifying darkness came down over him. Then the Lord said to Abram, you can be sure that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land where they will be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. But I will punish the nation that enslaves them. And in the end, they will come away with great wealth. As for you, you will die in peace and be buried at a ripe old age. After four generations, your descendants will return home to this land What land? The land God promised them. 
for the sins of the Amorites do not yet warrant their destructions. God was waiting on the sins of the Amorites to continue to, to build up their own judgment to the point where God says, that's it, I'm stepping in and I'm judging them. God still does that today. He's very patient, but when you filled up the measure of your sin, he will come and deal with us. And how terrifying it is to fall into the hands of an angry God. But God is now giving him, he's telling him the, he's telling him the process now. He's trusting him. Why? Because he believes him. He believes him, so now God can give him more information. Now God can tell him more of what his plan is because there's the faith and the trust in him. And God says, listen, Abram, your descendants are going to get the land, but they're going to go through some things. They're going to go through 400 years of oppression. Then I'm going to bring them out. And then you're going to be buried and all of this and the four generations and all of that stuff. And then you're going to come. You're going to get the land. Here's the amazing thing. The land wasn't possessed, as we just read, until four generations after Abram died. Abram's in the land, and he didn't get to see the fullness of the promise. But his descendants did. And for some of you, you wonder, why am I sacrificing now for your descendants? Why am I living a holy life now? Yes, for God and for eternity, but for your descendants. Let me get real practical. Why am I being wise with money now when I can go to the mall and I can get that Gucci purse? (laughs) Because the righteous man lives an inheritance for his children's children. Because you're thinking generationally, not just me. Verse 17. After the sun went down and darkness fell, Abram saw a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch pass between the halves of the carcasses. When you see fire in the Old Testament, it's often a picture of the presence of God. When God was leading the children of Israel throughout the the desert, he led them by cloud by day and a fire by night. So the Lord made a covenant with Abram that day and said, I have given this land to your descendants all the way from the border of Egypt to the great Euphrates River. The land now occupied by the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadamites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Raphaites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. And in that moment, a covenant is made. And I heard a preacher say this. I'm almost done. I heard a preacher say this. Why did God wait? Until Abram was asleep, exhausted. And his take on it was this. So that Abram couldn't say that it was him who made the covenant. So that it was God's strength, God's initiation, and God is the one who fulfilled it. Can I just tell you, when it comes to the covenant that we're in with Jesus, you didn't do anything to earn it. You didn't do the hard work. He did. You just made yourself a willing sacrifice. You're the calf cut in half. We focus so much on the, the calf cut in half and the hard work that that took, and we have no idea. The flaming pot, the generations, the fire of God, all it took to bind that covenant. God did the hard part. He's still doing the hard part. And he just wants you to receive it. He just wants you to believe him. So what's my point as I close? 
Here's my point. Fear not. He is your shield. He is your exceeding great reward. Ephesians 3.20, he's able to do more than you could ever ask, think, or even imagine. That's the God that we serve. Trust him. He keeps his promises. Let me pray for you. Lord, I thank you for the promises of your word. Hmm. Thank you for the great reward that you've promised your children, those who follow you, who are faithful, who believe you. And I pray that we would continue following, not because it's our culture to follow, not because it's what a church expects us to do or even our family expects us to do. We would keep following because we believe you. We believe everything you said is yes and amen. All the promises you made will come to pass. And we will see them fulfilled in this life and in the life to come. If you're here this morning and you say, Pastor Gabe, every eye closed, every head bowed, I want to take a moment to just pray for you and give you an opportunity to present some things to God. If you say, Pastor, I've been real worried and concerned about some things that I have a promise from God to hold on to, but I just, I'm fearful, I'm scared. I want you to reaffirm your faith in him. Can you, will, if you will, just hold your hands up like this. And if that's you, wherever you're at, I'm not asking you to come forward or any of those things. I just want you to have this moment with God. I want you to tell him, Lord, I trust you. I'm sorry I've tried to make it happen myself. I'm sorry I've tried to come up with the backup plan. If you said it, I believe it. If you promised it, I trust you. You are my shield. You are my protector. You are my provider. And I give this to you. And I trust you in your timing. In Jesus' name. With every eye closed, every head bowed, for some of you, I've talked a lot about the covenant that we're in. And that covenant is this. The one that was killed, the blood that was shed, was the Son of God. It was Jesus Christ our Lord. He was spread wide for us. And all he asks of you is that you believe him. And you become a living sacrifice to follow him. And we call that here in our church being born again. And what is born again? What does that mean? It, it is exactly how it sounds. The old you dies. Your sin, everything you did wrong, it all goes away because you become a new creation because of the blood shed for this covenant. And it's a process as easy as ABC. A, you admit. Admit what? The truth that you're a sinner that there's sin in your life that separates you from a holy, just, righteous God, that nothing you can do can earn that. 
B, you believe. You believe what? That God raised Jesus from the dead. You affirm that faith. I trust you. Jesus, I believe that your death on the cross was for my sin. And see, you confess. Confess what? Your allegiance to him. That he is now who he said he was. Lord, I believe you. You're Lord of heaven and earth. But now I'm making you the Lord of my life. And I'm going to yield myself, bow my knee to you to follow you. This is not something you have to raise your hand every time you feel guilty. This is a one-time moment where you surrender everything. And if you say, Pastor, that's me. I want to be born again. With no one looking around, I want to pray for you and lead you in a prayer. But first, I want to acknowledge who I'm praying with. If that's you, on the count of three, lift up your hand. I want to pray for you. One, two, three. If that's you, lift it up. If you say, Pastor Gabe, that's me. And today, I want to meet Jesus. I want to be born again. Don't be ashamed. Don't be embarrassed. Lift it up and lift it up high. Anyone? Lift it up high. Praise God. Thank you. Anyone else? Praise God. Thank you. Anyone else? Yeah, you can put them down. Church, let's pray this prayer aloud together. All of us. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sin, for my guilt, and for my shame. I believe you faced hell so I would not have to. And you rose again from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on this earth, and a relationship with God the Father. I repent of my sin. I do a 180, and I choose to follow you. And from this moment on, God, you're my Father. Jesus, you're my Lord and Savior. Holy Spirit, you're my helper. And heaven is now my home. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Church, come on, let's celebrate with everybody that prayed that prayer. Yeah. Come on, stand to your feet with me. I'm going to pray for you to release you in just a moment. But if you prayed that prayer and you said, I I got born again, what do I do now? I want to encourage you. Fill out that card in the pew pocket in front of you that says get connected. Or just tell someone, hey, I've made this decision. Now what? What do I do? Second thing is keep coming. Keep learning what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Can't wait for you to be a part of the family. You already are, but come and get connected. Also, our prayer partners are going to be up front. If you need prayer for anything, please come forward and let us believe God with you. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for your people. I pray you bless them. I pray you make your face to shine on them. I pray you would bless them in their going out and in their coming in and in everything that they put their hands to for the sake of your great name would be blessed. And as a church, I pray we would be a pure church that walks in the fear of the Lord, would be a persistent church even in the face of challenges, and we would be a powerful church that walks in the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen.